Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. Robert for praying for the church, for, our, for the nation, especially on a Sunday like this. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, great to see you guys. Great to uh, be preaching God's word this morning. If you have your Bibles, we'll be turning to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Last week, we talked about how God is our refuge. There's safety in his presence, and his kingship endures. So as children of God, we can stand on his promises, the same promise that was established with David and Psalm Samuel. It affects us, includes us, and so we can stand on that, knowing that we're safe with God. Psalm 62 will be preached next week, so you want to stick around for that, but today will be all about Psalm 62. My family longed for Stephanie to get better. My family longed for Stephanie to get better. If I could condense my father's prayers into three words, it would be, heal my princess. See, Stephanie was my younger sister, is my younger sister, And when I was little, I remember taking rides to CHKD, Children's Hospital of the King's Daughters. I remember taking rides to CHKD countless times because my sister was sick. When she was born, she was uh, diagnosed with a disease that is pretty prevalent, pretty common in the African-American community, uh, known as sickle cell anemia. And for those of you who don't know what sickle cell anemia is, that's basically when the red blood cells that are circular shaped, those are signs of normal, healthy red blood cells. But the sickled shaped blood cells, those are shaped like bananas. And so those stop blood flow in your arms, your legs, different parts of your body. And as you can imagine, when there's a blockage of blood flow, that can cause extreme, excruciating pain. That's the pain that my sister was in. That's the pain that she experienced for 14 years. 14 years of doctor's visits. 14 years of driving to the hospital. 14 years of what seemed like the same prayer over and over and over again to God. Heal my princess. My family was longing for Steph's healing. And we all long for something. We all long for something. Because we live in a fallen world, it creates this longing for things to truly be restored. 
We're so accustomed to things not functioning in the way that they should, and so it creates this sense of longing. And notice I'm not talking about wants. For most of us, depending on what we want, we can go out and get what we want. But to be asked what we long for, that's creating a deeper and longer desire to have something fulfilled. And it also points to the fact that when we long for something, usually we have exhausted all of our resources. And so we're left hoping for that thing or hoping for someone. This Sunday is a great example of longing. Colombia is longing for peace. We look at the elections and what's happening with that. Colombia is longing for peace. When we look at the arts, there are countless songs and films about longing for relationship, romantic relationship. And to long for something is, is such an innate human desire that it can relate to almost every part of our lives. And we'll see in Psalm 63 that David is indeed longing for something. And we'll see that because God's steadfast love is bigger and better than life itself. We look at the past, God has met our past need, he is meeting our current need, and he will meet our future needs. Past, present, and future. Those are my three points in this sermon as I preach through Psalm 63. And so I'll invite you to stand as I read Psalm 63 this morning. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to hear your word, uh, be encouraged by your word. Bring clarity to your word. I know for some of us, we might come into your church, your sanctuary, and be distracted, be fearful, be doubtful of some things. Lord, I ask you to bring peace to our hearts. Um, your word is true. And so I pray in the sermon as we give clarity to your word, uh, let, your, let your love shine through and let your word come forth 
so that we can continue to stand on your promise. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So past, present, and future. In order to set the context for where David is, um, I'm going to be I'm going to be jumping around a bit in the passage, Psalm 63. And so I'll preface this point by telling you all where David is in Psalm 63. David is in the middle of the wilderness, the wilderness of Judah, and this is a place where he is being depraved of certain things: shelter, food, water, just to name a few. And to me, this paints a very good picture of this, this different state of barrenness, this depravity. Um, and it's causing David to long for God. And we see that in verse 1. We says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. For those of you hearing that, for those of you reading that, right, it creates this imagery of, you might see like uh, dead plants, uh, infertile land, very dry, dry ground, barren land, right? This is the imagery of longing. When you look around, there is no flourishing. There is no life happening, right? It seems very, very barren. And this is where David is physically, as he's crying out to God. What we see in verse 2, there's a shift from the present to the past, right? And so we look to the past, we see that David was in a sanctuary worshiping God, uplifting his name, praising God. It was in the sanctuary that God was revealing himself to David. And so as he recounts these things, he recounts how God has been with him and God has been his help in the past. And I imagine as he's thinking about his own past, he's thinking, God, you were the one who has appointed me to be king and to lead your people, the Israelites. God, you were the one who has established your covenantal promise with me and my kingship. God, you were the one who was with me when I was in battle against the Philistines and when I defeated Goliath, you were with me. Those are just a few things that I can imagine David saying when he is worshiping God, when he's longing to be with God, and when he's thinking about how God has been his help in the past. When we look at verses 6 and 7, we read, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. So commentaries say that David is meditating on God during the night. And in doing so, David recounts how God has indeed been his help. And his response is rejoicing since he knows that God has been with him through it all. He's been with him through it all. And so I have a question for you all, another question. As children of God, do you remember when you first understood and accepted and believed in the gospel? Do you remember? As children of God, do you remember when you first understood and believed in the gospel? Right? Think back to that moment. 
If you remember, it's like a fog that like lifts over your eyes. Some people might describe it as like a huge burden off of your shoulders. And there might be so many things that you can remember and recount that have gone through your mind when you first understood and believed in the gospel, right? Some of those things that might, be, might have been going through your mind is, I'm, I'm a sinner, right? And so there's this, this nakedness, this vulnerability, this need for you to be saved, right? I'm a sinner. I'm in need. Jesus is my savior. I believe in Jesus. So those are some of the things that you might be able to remember when you first understood the gospel. For me, I first understood the gospel message when I was in children's ministry. Not teaching here, but when I was a young kid and I had heard stories about Jesus and who he was and performing miracles, but by the Holy Spirit, I was able to clearly understand that Jesus truly loves me, so much so that he died for my sins so that I can be a part of his family and be reconciled to to Jesus. I understood that at a very young age. I like how senior pastor Eric Raymond puts it, In a blog post, he says, it was Jesus who gave his life as a ransom for those in shackles of sin. And then, in time, the Holy Spirit was powerfully dispatched to open our eyes to see Christ the Lord. Through the word proclaimed, we beheld Christ as just the Savior we need. He is not only able to, but willing to save us. The Holy Spirit applied the redemption that Jesus accomplished for us, and God made us alive in him. And so why why do I share that with you? Well, I share that with you because similar to David, we ought to look at our past and remember who God is and what he's done for us, right? And that causes us to rejoice in the gospel, And it makes me think about our service that we have every Sunday, particularly the confession of sin that we do every Sunday. It might be strange to some of us, especially those visiting us for the first time on any given Sunday. But one of the reasons why we do the confession of sin corporately is to remember what God has done for us. We remember our need for him. We remember our state of depravity, our state of brokenness that we're all too used to and looking to God to be pardoned from our sins. We remember our initial state and how he has promised to pardon us when we come to him and confess our sin. And just as we do confession of sin every Sunday, that's followed by what? More worship, responding to him pardoning our sins and responding to him in such a way that we continue to worship our God corporately in song. So that's looking at the past of how God has met our needs. Now we're in the present, and David is saying in verse 8, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. And he's still in the wilderness when he's saying this, and he's remembering how God Uh, who God is and what he's done, and there's such a longing just to be with him, 
So much so that David describes it as, my soul clings to him. Some of your translations might say, uh, use a synonym, cleave, meaning like uh, marriage devotion, cleaving uh, to your partner. But in the second clause of verse 8, we see that God's right hand upholds us. God's right hand is his power upholding us. And so this is such a beautiful picture of his love. And it reminds us that his steadfast love not only keeps us afloat in life, but it also sustains us when we grow weary, tired, and even when we sin and fall. His steadfast love sustains us. And his right hand reminds us that it's not our efforts, it's not how tight we cling to him, but it's his strength that sustains us. And I love so much that David is acknowledging God's strength and not his own. That's so important to emphasize. It's not our own strength, it's God's that is upholding us. But let's be honest, how do we feel about the word cling? Let's turn to an adjective, clingy. How do you feel about the word clingy? A lot of us don't have, you know, really positive uh, uh, connotations to that word. I mean, a lot of us think that when we, when we use the word clingy, it's a pretty negative connotation. And to go further, to be looked at as dependent and needy is not desirable at all. And the reason being is because it goes against our innate desire for independence, standing alone and standing strong in what we feel that we can accomplish by ourselves. So that's what society says about being clingy. But David is acknowledging that he is clinging to God because he longs for his presence, just as he experienced his presence when he was worshiping in the sanctuary. He is clinging to God as if his life depended on it. I want you all to imagine for a moment that you're in New York, you're in LaGuardia Airport, and you're about to travel to North Carolina. You board your plane, you have a nice window seat, and you hear your captain say, this is your Captain Sullenberg speaking, please prepare for takeoff. So far, so good. Plane air is a runway, blasts off, nice smooth departure. You feel a little turbulence, but it's no big deal. Flight attendants remind you to please stay seated and have your seat belts securely fastened, right? About three minutes in, you're looking out, you're seeing the city get smaller and smaller and smaller. But then you feel a shake. Your mind goes to, Oh, that's just turbulence. It's normal. But then the plane starts to descend. And you notice that you're getting closer to not LaGuardia Airport, but you're getting closer to the Hudson River that's right in front of you. You experience one of the most surprising and horrifying shakes as the plane lands on top of the Hudson River. And so you're completely in shock. You're terrified as to what's happening right now. And then you hear inflatable rafts being opened on the right and left side of the plane. And flight attendants 
frantically getting all 150 passengers off of this airplane. As I'm telling the story, some of you might be familiar with this true story that happened uh, to flight 1549. This was a flight where a plane was derailed as a result of um, a group of birds that um, disrupted the engines in the plane and caused an emergency landing over the Hudson River. This happened January 15th, 2009. In January, in, in 2016, there was a film made called Sully. Some of you might have seen that as well. But what I didn't know was that my aunt was one of the 150 passengers on that flight. I didn't know that. She must have been clinging to her armrest as if it was going to save her when that plane was going down. I bet she was clinging to the first responders that pulled her out of the freezing Hudson River. I bet she was clinging to her own body as she was cold and trying to warm up and not get hypothermia. When we long for something, we cling to what is there, whatever is around us. We cling to what we feel is secure. We cling to what's stronger than we are. Just like David, we ought to cling to God. We ought to cling to God. And so what does that look like in our daily lives? Clinging to his word that he's given us. Clinging, holding fast to his promises, just as David did last week when I preached from Psalm 61. He was literally telling God verbatim the covenant promise that he established with him in Samuel, 2 Samuel clinging to his promise, clinging to God in our prayers. These are some of the things of what it might look like if we cling to God, holding fast to God. But here's the thing. None of what we do, so praying, cling to him, none of what we do will make him love us more or less. It's not going to change his steadfast love for us. It's purely God's love that upholds us, and as a human response, we love him and cling to him, and we do these things. For non-believers, people, if, if you have not yet in your heart said, I believe that Jesus is the one and only Savior of my life, if you haven't done that and you're hearing what I'm saying, then I urge you to cling to God and know that all he requires of you is to know that you are in utter need of him. Your right standing with God isn't based on your merit, your reputation, your works, how much you pray. Your right standing with God is based on you responding to your need for a savior, your need of Jesus Christ in your life. And that'll change. That'll change everything. So cling to the gospel because it is for you. God has met our past need. He is meeting our current need. And he will meet our future needs. 
And so this is where David is activating his trust in God. When we look at verses 3 and 4, we read, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And this is such a beautiful picture of his relationship and his admiration for God. He's offering praise to his name because he knows that his steadfast love is better than life itself. Just just stop and think about that for a moment. God's steadfast love is better than life. It's true. But we also notice that David is in distress as well. When you jump to verses 9 through 11, it reads, But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. When we get to the latter part of Psalm 63, who is David talking about? He's talking about people who actively oppose God. In his case, he's talking about wicked individuals who seek to dismantle the gospel message, uh, David's kingship, Christianity, all that. Like, that's their mission. So these are not people who come from different church denominations that we're, you know, not very familiar with. These are not people who have a different political view or stance than we do. These aren't even non-believers who haven't yet accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. These aren't the people that David is talking about. He's talking about the people dedicating their lives to tearing down the kingdom of God as best as they can. When David talks about uh, verse 10, when he says, they shall be given over to the power of the sword, David is referring to when his son Absalom and other Israelites rebelled against David's kingship in battle. And at the end of this passage in Psalm 63, he is inviting other believers to join him in standing firm on God's promise to defeat their enemies. I really like what Isaiah chapter 54 verse 17 says. It says, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me declares the Lord. And so what do we do when we're looking ahead We feel like we're in distress and we're longing for something. What do we do when we're looking ahead to the future? Declare his victory. This is what David is doing in the latter part of Psalm 63. When we long for peace and restoration, we can look to his word and declare his victory. And the truth is is that God will bring peace to his people, his children. He will restore what is broken. He will fix what isn't functioning in this world. And so we don't have to worry about the outcome of Christianity and what the what this, uh, current circumstances of Christianity is in, in this day and age. We don't have to worry about sickness. 
We don't have to worry about relationships. We don't even have to worry about the outcome of presidential elections. All of our longing and need as God's children will be fulfilled. And so we need to declare his victory, and we can do so by looking at the cross. So I shared a bit about Stephanie's uh, testimony, her story, her fighting sickle cell anemia for 14 years of her life. And God, being the gracious God that he is, has healed Stephanie of sickle cell anemia. And that is a tremendous blessing. And we praise God for it. And so I mention that to you is because anytime we experience a glimpse of restoration, a glimpse of healing, a glimpse of things being made right in our lives and in the lives of people that we love, what we can do is we can, we can hope further that God will completely fulfill what is broken in and around our world. He gives us glimpses of the full and complete fulfillment that he will restore. And that's done on the cross. Our greatest need was met on the cross. And it is simultaneously the greatest act of love known to man and a reflection of God's steadfast love. And so we remember how God has sacrificed his own son to die for our sins. He's calling us to cling to him, submit to him as king, and to currently live in right standing with God, knowing that our righteousness that we get from Jesus is not righteousness from ourselves. So as his children, all of our longing has been fulfilled through Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. And because of his sacrifice, we remember how great God is, that he is with us, and that he gave us victory over our enemies. Jesus truly does satisfy all of our longing. And so let's go to God in prayer and thank him for meeting all our needs. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the word that you have given us as we go through the summer of Psalms and go through and talk about uh, what David was experiencing. We realize that you have met our needs. When we look at the cross, we see that you have given us the greatest gift of all, uh, salvation through Jesus's sacrifice. So we look back at our past, we remember not only that you have given us the greatest gifts and a chance to be a part of your family, but you have also saved us from our current state of deprivation, our current uh, condition of, of sin. That's what you have done. And you are also doing so much in the here and now that we are clinging to you, holding fast to the promises that you have established in your word. And that has given us the confidence to look in the future, look to what's ahead and to stand on your promise and declare your victory. Your promises won't return to you void. And as a matter of fact, in your word, you say you will never leave us nor forsake us. And so thank you that you have, you have met our past needs, you're meeting our needs now, and you will meet our future needs. We thank you so much for that. 
It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.